Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Wireless 5. Hey! Praise the Lord. All right. Here we go. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we'll be looking at verse 11. And we'll read through 23. When you've got your Bible, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word this morning. John chapter 20, verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood, and looked, stood to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there. The body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today. Um, Psalm 119 says, Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. And that is what we ask you to do this morning. Give us eyes to see. Let us hear the voice of our Savior this morning, whispering, saying our name, speaking to us. And Father, would you move in our minds and in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning, I want to I make a simple message. Uh, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to Easter uh, about for preachers. you got to preach you know, a great sermon. And, and I, I just was reminded this morning that I don't have to try to hit a home run or a grand slam. My job this morning is to swing the bat. And the Word of God's going to do the rest this morning. It's a simple yet powerful message. And I'm going to try to be as simple as I can. Okay? This morning, I'm going to talk about three things. I want to talk about the reality of the resurrection, the disciples' response to the resurrection, and then I want to talk about the resurrection responsibility. So, the reality, the disciples' response, and the responsibility. Okay? So, simple as that. Okay, I want to talk about proofs of the resurrection for just a second. Because there might be some in this room who say, you know, I just think that Bible is just a a book of made-up stories. I want to tell you six proofs, and these six proofs are not a complete list of proofs, but you can research it. Find a guy named Gary Habermas. He was an atheist at the time of his research, and he became a follower of Jesus because of the reality of the resurrection. He found so many proofs, just like a man named Lee Strobel, sought out to disprove the resurrection and found that he couldn't. There are so many proofs of the resurrection, and this morning I just want to look at six, and they're simple. Number one is the empty tomb of Jesus. The empty tomb of Jesus. Now flip forward, Mr. James. I got two pictures right here. I stood right at an empty tomb just this past week, week and a half ago. This is an empty tomb called the Garden Tomb. There are two possible locations for the the tomb uh, in the city of Jerusalem. This is one called the Garden Tomb, and the other is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is tomb. The Church of the Holy Tomb. And guess what? I went into both of them. Mr. James, show the next picture. Both are empty. Both are empty. Now, this is what the inside of the tomb would have looked like. Now, we're not exactly sure if this is the tomb that Jesus was laid in, but we believe that this is the one because of its nearness to a hill called Golgotha. It is just about three or four hundred yards away from a mountain that looks like a skull or a hill that looks like a skull that would have sat on the side of a major trade route going in and out and it would have been on the road to Damascus that you would have passed by Golgotha and this garden tomb. The tomb is empty. Now some people would just say, okay Ryan, They went to the wrong tomb. That's what they did. Now, I just want you to imagine this, okay? I want you to imagine living in a town all of your life and you um, experience one of the most remarkable, 
memorable, gruesome days where your Messiah is crucified. You follow him to where Joseph of Arimathea lays him in a rich man's tomb. And then the next day you go, you know, I just can't remember which tomb he was laid in. I just can't remember. I don't know if it's this one or this one. They all kind of look the same. No, you would know for something that important. Some people say, well, Jesus, Jesus actually didn't die on the cross. He just passed out. And I need you to think about that. If that's the argument, the Roman centurions who stood by the cross, who crucified day in and day out, were pretty poor at their job if they didn't know when a man was dead or not, right? The third argument is somebody stole Jesus' body. Somebody stole Jesus' body. Now, I just want you to imagine, the book of Matthew says that, that because the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, knew that Jesus said that he would rise on the third day, they sent a guard to keep watch over the tomb. And Pilate says, you make that tomb as secure as you can. And he put his, his Roman seal on the tomb. It was unlawful for anyone to uh, break that seal without the governor's permission. But think about it. A group of fishermen against a guard of Roman soldiers? How's that going to go? Who are you placing your money on on that day, right? The Roman soldiers, of course. The tomb is empty. The second one is maybe not something that you'd regularly think about. The second proof is that the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection were women. Were women. Now, I need you to think on this for a second. In the first century court of law, was a women's testimony upheld in a court of law? No, it wasn't. So if you were going to make up a religion, and your evidence for this made-up religion was the testimony of women, how's that going to go for you? It's not going to go well at all. Now, Think about it. The gospel writers had to write down what they knew to be true, even if it might have seemed embarrassing in the moment. That women were the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection is actually an incredible proof that the resurrection is true. That it's true. The third, the, the apostles' newfound courage. Mr. James, go back to my list. The apostles' newfound courage. Just imagine, okay? Just think back on this day. It says in the Bible, right here in John chapter 20, verse 19, that they were in a room, doors were locked, and they were there for fear of the Jews. They were there for fear of the Jews. And then what happens after the resurrection? They come out of the room. They run to the tomb. And I love how John records it. He says, Peter and the beloved disciple were running to the tomb. And Peter ran, but the other disciple beat him. Right? I love it. The other disciple outran Peter. I always kind of get that jab in right there. They run out of the tomb. They see Jesus alive. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then what do they do? They leave the locked room. They leave safety. And they go into the streets proclaiming that Christ has died and Christ has been raised from the dead. How do you explain that courage unless they had seen the resurrected King of Kings? Four, the changed life of James and Paul. Changed life. Let me start with James. James is the beloved brother of Jesus. 
the brother of Jesus. And James, according to John chapter 7, the brothers of Jesus did not believe who he said he was. In fact, in John chapter 7, they were trying to set Jesus up to be killed in Jerusalem at one of the feasts. They were trying to set him up. Yet, after the resurrection, James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. How can you explain that change of heart unless James, the brother of Jesus, saw Jesus die and saw him raised from the dead? Number five, the large... Oh, let me talk about Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He had a divine encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul left or came into that relationship as a persecutor of those who followed Christ and left as the biggest promoter of the gospel and wrote the majority of the New Testament. How do you explain that one who once fought against Jesus is now fighting for Jesus unless he saw the resurrected Christ? Five, a large crowd of eyewitnesses. A large crowd of eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Now, some people will say, well, that was just a hallucination. Now, I am not an expert in hallucinations. One hallucination of the risen Christ would be impressive. But can you imagine 500 simultaneous hallucinations of a risen Jesus? And that that would happen all at the same time? There was a crowd of those who saw the risen Christ in between His resurrection and His ascension. They saw Jesus eye to eye. Now these were those who they saw Him, they touched Him. Don't you remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Put your hands in. Go ahead. Does a ghost have a body like this? They saw him, they touched him, they watched Jesus eat. Can you imagine that? Remember when Jesus shows up in in John 21 on the beach in Capernaum or or in Tabka just outside of Capernaum and he uh, he restores Peter and he, he calls out to them, hey guys, bring some of the fish you've just caught. I've got a fire, let's eat. And can you imagine how they just, the disciples' eyes bugging wide in that moment because they were just watching the one who had died a few days ago, now raised to life, now living, now breathing, now eating once again. Can you imagine how their minds exploded? They spent 40 days with Jesus and they watched him bodily ascend to heaven. The last six, they were willing to die for Jesus. They were willing to die for Jesus. Now, you might say to me, well, Ryan, lots of people are willing to die for what they believe is true. But I I want you to think about this. If, in fact, the disciples did come up with this incredible scheme, all right, we're going to go in. We're going to steal the body of Jesus away. Yeah, 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 what's next? What's next? Then we're going to be hated for the rest of our lives, okay? And then we're all going to die as martyrs. Can you imagine if that was a lie? Now, a lot of people would die for what they believe is true. But who's going to die for what they know to be a lie? 
James was thrown off of the pinnacle of the temple because he would not recant in Jesus. He did not die. So they left the pinnacle of the temple. They came down and they beat him with clubs. Philip was crucified upside down. And as he's crucified upside down, he's preaching about Jesus' death and resurrection to those around him. How do you explain away those that somebody would be willing to die for Jesus. Now, Gary Habermas, I, I talked about him a minute ago. He said his disciples were radically transformed from fearful, cowering individuals who denied and abandoned him at his arrest and execution into bold proclaimers of the gospel of the risen Lord. They remain steadfast in the face of imprisonment, torture, and martyrdom. It is very clear that they sincerely believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There's another one. Uh, atheistic New Testament scholar. He is a New Testament scholar who's an atheist. Gerd Ludeman concludes, he says, It may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. An atheist says it's historically certain. The question for us today is not, did the resurrection happen? The question is, what are you going to do with the reality of the resurrection? Second, second point, what are the responses? What are the responses? We see four responses right here in this text. First is we see weeping to joy. Weeping turns to joy. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Two times in that one verse, she's weeping. She's weeping. In verse 13, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Weeping. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She was weeping. Her Messiah, the one that she thought was the Messiah, is dead, or so she believed him to be. She goes to the tomb. The tomb is empty. She doesn't know where her Messiah is. She is weeping tears of deep grief. Can you put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment? Can you see how torn up you would be if you went to the tomb of your Messiah and you found it empty? Confused? and disturbed and bothered you'd be. And that's exactly what we see. She's confused. She, Jesus appears to her, and in her weeping, in her grief, she's so overwhelmed that she thinks he's the gardener until what? What does Jesus say to her that rattles her from her grief? Her name. Isn't that an amazing thought? Mary, pull it together. No. Mary. It reminds me of John chapter 10 that says he calls his own sheep by name. And his sheep know his voice and follow him. She knew the voice of her shepherd. And, and in an instant, she was rattled from grief, from weeping to joy. She was transformed and she fell down at his feet. Grab on him. She grabbed him. Can you just imagine the picture 
of, of the transition that happened in her heart, the grief, how the grief, the mourning turned to joy in an instant as she recognized her resurrected King. Psalm 30, verses 3 to 5 says it like this, O Lord, You've brought me up from Sheol. You've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Does that sound familiar at all? O you His saints, sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name, for His anger is but a moment, and His favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. Weeping to joy. Our sin and our shame and our past, our wounds, the things that we have done in our past, they often bring tears to our eyes, don't they? Grief to our heart. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That road that I walked, I wish I wouldn't have walked it so far. It took me farther than I wanted it to go. It cost me more than I wanted to pay. And it kept me longer than I wanted to stay. It will bring tears to our eyes. But the resurrection does not take away the reality of our sinful past decisions and actions. Rather, it says, the resurrection says that your sinful past, your sinful attitudes, your sinful actions can be forgiven. Isn't that good? The resurrection actually says that the payment that Christ made on the cross, His shed blood, saying your debt has been paid, has been accepted by the Father, stamp, paid in full. They can be forgiven. The resurrection doesn't remove your past, it redeems your past. It doesn't fix you up, it makes you new. The resurrection turns weeping into joy. Isn't that good news? Ryan, you don't know what I'm going through. I sure don't. But there's a resurrected Savior. He knows what you're going through. He knows your tears, my friend. Whether it's the death of a loved one. John chapter 11. He who believes in me, even if he die, yet shall he live. Jesus wept over death. But he knew death wasn't the end for Lazarus. And he knows death is not the end for the believer. Secondly, despair to hope. Despair to hope. Can you imagine the despair of Friday? Remember, your Messiah, the one who you think is going to come in and boot out Rome, out of Jerusalem, going to reset the kingdom of Israel, the one that you think is the King of kings, the coming King, the Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the Christ. Then he is crucified. He dies. They put him in a tomb. And on silent Saturday, where God seems not to say a word. Can you imagine the despair? What's happened? I feel so lost. I don't know what to do now. All that I had put my hope in seems to be gone away. And the resurrection changes despair into hope. All hope is lost on Friday and Saturday. They had no belief. The disciples ran away, they denied Jesus, they all fled, God is silent, and Jesus was in the tomb. And I just want to remind you that God's silence, lean in, God's silence does not indicate His absence. Because God is silent does not mean that God does not love you. It does not mean that God is not actively doing something. 
Christ's resurrection gave the disciples a fresh hope. And it gives you fresh hope for the future. It gives you hope to handle the difficulties that you're in right now. Are you facing something today? Church, are you, are you hearing me? Are you facing something today that you go, I don't know how to do this. Have no fear because Christ gives hope from despair. Hope for the believer is the bedrock of the Christian life. Hope believes in a future that is glorious. And hope changes the way I live today. Our hope is rooted in not just Jesus' death, but His resurrection also. And that we will die with Him and rise with Him. The resurrection shapes how we live now. Fear to peace. Fear to peace. So we've got weeping to joy, despair to hope, fear to peace. Three times in John's account of the resurrection, Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. What's the Hebrew word? Come on, peace. Shalom. Shalom. Peace be with you. The resurrection of Jesus brought about the spiritual resources for the disciples to have peace in the middle of the chaos that they were experiencing. Now, did Jesus answer all their questions in that moment? Nope. Is Jesus going to answer all your questions in this moment? Nope. Did Jesus take away all the chaos to give them peace? Nope. Did Jesus remove all the bad circumstances that they were facing in their life? Nope. That's not how the peace of God works. The peace of God doesn't come in and remove all your circumstances, answer all your questions, get rid of all your fears. No, the peace of God comes in in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your doubt, in the middle of your questions, and the peace of God reigns in the middle of chaos. And that's what Jesus came to do for the disciples and for us. If the resurrection doesn't change us, if it doesn't change our lives, it means that we as believers have lost our focus. What are you fixing your eyes on today? I'm full of fear and despair and weeping. I'm afraid. Fix your eyes on Jesus, our resurrected King. Richard Blackaby, he says... You can't be downcast in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. You can't be downcast in the presence of resurrected Jesus. The apostles, especially Paul, are good examples of this. I mean, think about Paul's life. Paul. Paul became the greatest preacher, teacher, evangelist the church had ever seen. And Paul is out preaching, and they say to Paul, Paul, if you keep preaching the gospel... We're going to take everything away from you. We're going to strip everything from you. And he said, good, because I count everything as garbage, as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Paul, if you don't stop preaching about Jesus' death and resurrection, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come in and, and we're going to beat you. We're going to abuse you. We're going to persecute you. And Paul says, I count the present sufferings as worthy of the glory that's to be revealed. So if that's what it takes to get to the glory, let's go. Paul, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. Good. 
Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul was a hard guy to beat. Why? Because he had a hope in the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. Last, timidity to fear. Timidity to fear. They were afraid, or timidity to power. I'm sorry, timidity to power. Fourth one, timidity to power. They were afraid. They were locked up, and then they had the power. Jesus says to them, receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So we hear about the reality. We see the response. Now, what's the responsibility? What's our responsibility to the resurrection? Number one, we have a person to receive. We, each of us, each one of us in this room, it's no accident that you're here. You did not show up because someone invited you. You showed up because God ordained it. God brought you here. You might have heard a message that you've never heard before. You might have heard things that you don't like. But let me tell you something. Today, God has a message for you. He wants you to be aware that because of what you've heard, you've got to deal with the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have a person to receive. Tim Keller says it this way in his book, Hope in Times of Fear. He says, if you're looking at Christianity, maybe some of you are, you're looking at Christianity from, for the first time, he said, start by looking at, at Jesus' life as it's shown to us in the Gospels, especially at the resurrection. And he says, don't begin as modern people do by asking if Christianity fits who you are. If the resurrection really happened, then there is a God who created you for himself. And ultimately, whether you feel like it does or doesn't, Christianity fits you. Whether you can see it or not. If he's real and risen, then just like Paul, even though he had none of the answers to any of his questions, you'll have to look at him and say, Lord, what would you have me do? We have a person to receive. We've got to deal with Jesus. If Jesus' resurrection is true, you've either got to run to him or run from him. Those are your only two options. You've got to run to him or run from him. You, there is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. So we have a person to receive. Some of us in this room, we need to follow the example of Chris and Jennifer and Paisley by trusting Christ and following him in believer's baptism. Being identified with his death and resurrection. Some of us in this room, you need to receive Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior because he, he loves you. He died for you, and on the third day, He rose up for you. But second, the responsibility is we have a message to declare. We have a message to declare. I want you to look down at verse 17. So remember, Mary wraps her hands around Jesus, and Jesus says, don't cling to me, Mary. Don't cling to me. Look at verse 18. He said, oh, verse 17, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, Jesus immediately gave her a mission and a message. Immediately. She'd just seen the risen king. What would you do? Jesus, can I just have five minutes right here, right now? I just want five minutes. He says, no. Time is urgent. Go. Go to the brothers and say to them, go and say, we have a message to declare. Verse 21, 
Jesus said to them, the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. They had just seen the resurrected Christ. Again, can we not just sit? We've got a lot of questions. I mean, Matthew's been writing them all down. And we have a lot of things that we'd like for you to address for us. Because we're really confused, Jesus. No. The Father sent me. I'm sending you. Go. We've got a message to declare. What is the message? That Jesus is the promised Savior who lived sinlessly, who died for sinners, and who rose victoriously. That's our message. That's our message. You might be saying, what relevance does that have today? Every bit. Every bit. If if Jesus rose from the dead, after being crucified, it means that our sins can be forgiven through Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. That Jesus' payment was accepted. And if you would like to be forgiven, you have only to trust what Jesus has done for you. One of the things that Chris said last weekend as we met together, he kept saying, I just doubt myself. I doubt myself. And I said, Chris, if you're doubting yourself, your trust's in the wrong person. Trust not in what you can do, but in what Christ has done for you. It means that your past does not have to define who you are today. It means that there is a hope beyond the grave. And there is something eternal worth living for. It means that death, it means that death is not the worst thing that can happen to me. There's a pastor in the middle 20th century named Donald Barnhouse, and he, as he's coming home from the funeral of his wife, He's driving down the road with his children in the car and he's just trying to figure out what to say to children who are grieving. And he looks at his son and who's in the front seat next to him and he says, son, you see the shadow of that truck? He says, yeah, dad, I see the shadow of that truck. He said, which one would you rather be hit by, the truck or its shadow? The shadow, of course, he says. He says, that's right. He said, Jesus Christ was hit by the truck of death so that we might only be hit by death's shadow. Death is not the end of us. It means that there is reason and purpose for your life right here, right now. It means that there's reason and purpose for your difficulties and that our difficulties, in our difficulties, we have a God who's compassionate and with us and present who doesn't leave us. It means that God has given you resources for true life change and the power to break any addiction. That's what the resurrection means. And and if the resurrection's true, It means the resurrection changes everything. Everything. So, as we close, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Has the resurrection changed you?
Has the resurrection changed you? If not, it can. Would you stand with me today? At this time of the service, we kind of we do an, what we call an altar call or an invitation. There are some of you today who have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And, and you need to do that today because if you were to die, you don't know where you would go spend eternity. And we want you to be certain of that. So if that's you, if you feel like your chest is being pounded on, just know that's the knuckles of a loving and holy God who's beating on the door of your heart saying, let me in. Today, I want to encourage you to do it. Let him in. Maybe today you need to join the church to come and make that next step. Maybe you need to say, I've never been baptized before. And that's my next step. But today, let's respond. And maybe you just have struggles and burdens that you want to come and lay down before the resurrected king. You do that. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us today? Would you, would you work in our hearts? Would you let us know how you want us to respond to you today? Would you call people from death to life? Would you ask people to come and let you in? Would you knock on the door of their heart? Would you convict them of their sin? And would you show them that the resurrection is true? And that it gives hope for sinners like us. Father, if there's somebody who needs to take another step somehow, you lead them. For any others, Father, who just might have burdens, may they come and lay them down at the feet of the one who bears our cross. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.